she got the word. She said, I suppose you heard. Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this month's No Limits, the Scott Harvath Podcast. Woohoo. What's new this week, Mike? Dude, we've been really busy running our third season, the Thriller Podcast. A whole lot of fun, but I'm glad to be back talking Brad Thor with you. Yes, yes. We took a little little bit of a break. Well, not you guys haven't noticed a break, but personally, we took a break reading uh, this to cover some of the other stuff. We just crushed all of Chris Howdy's complete works on um, Haley Chill. I'm beginning to reread the Jack Carr verse because we're going to all about yes. Jack Carr next month. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, if you like that, uh, obviously, if you're here, you probably do. So go check out our other feed, No Limits, The Thriller Pod. Again, it's like just we would normally run it. We, if this was season one, they'd be together. But we, we decided we wanted to split them off. Made more sense. Dedicate this feed solely to Brad Thor and Scott Harvath. And just to reiterate that plug, we are looking to get our numbers up on the other feed. And I mean, we've covered Chris Howdy. We're doing Jack Carr. When the Terminalist TV show comes out, we're covering it there. When the Gray Man movie comes out, some of Mark Graney's books we're going to cover over there. So big stuff happening on No Limits, the Thriller podcast. If you could help us out, give a subscribe, leave a rating and a comment over there. It would mean a lot. So yes, thanks for following No Limits. But before we get into today, we also have to thank our patrons who bring you the Scott Harvath podcast. And we got to do a patron giveaway, Mike, don't we? Yes, we do. You reminded me. I almost forgot. Let's pull up the Wheel of Names. <laughs> the Wheel of Names. Everybody but Bridget. Bridget was our winner last month. And we've got a ton of books. I'm not even going to read them out. So if you are the winner, you have your choice of, I think, nine different Brad Thor autographed books and we're going to spin this wheel to see who wins this month here we go spinning 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 oh it's a good one sherry f big winner uh, big friend of the pod we love sherry sherry you're getting the brad thor autograph book we will be in touch i don't know if it's like the time delay or something but like for some reason in my head i was like sherry's gonna win it and then you said it it was <laughs> That's funny. There it is. Congrats to Sherry. Our special agent, right? She's our special operator. agent. Yeah, she's our special operator. Operator, operator right. Thank, yeah. thank you to Sherry and all of our patrons. All right, Mike. Do, is there any more admin, or should we just get right into State of the Union? I think we just jump right into it, because this book is a good one. I want to get into it. State of the Union, coming at you. And you know, Chris, I like to share my thoughts on the book in the form of a limerick. And in fact, today, it's a double limerick. There was a team leader named Gary Lawler. Assembling sleeper agents, what a baller. Russian nukes on the loose. A crazy plot to deduce. Need Scott and the boys? Just holler. Scott has a friend who we call Herman. A strong reputation, what a badass German. Tracking down Russian nukes and acting like spooks, together they'll exterminate the vermin. Good limerick, Mike. Yeah, limerick. I gave it, I, I gotta work on these, but they're coming around. You're beginning to hit your stride. You know, you hit it, yeah. by the time we hit the very end of Mitrapod, you had it going. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're just getting into what, what to rhyme, what to bring up, so it, it, it'll come, it'll get there. 
I peaked with Mitch Rapod. I really did peak. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> or maybe when you read uh, poetry to to Kyle Mills. Yeah, that was... Um, after that, it was all downhill. So, you like to do the limericks. I like to give you the what's on numbers. The, the Twitter sphere. The numbers. The Pretty good third book. And I have to say, when I, you know, second books are hard. Mm-hmm. We were critical of both Path as well as the third option. We had some picks to knit, although they were both decent books. Third but, option. Yeah, like in the Mitch Rapp series versus oh, the Path of the gotcha. Assassin. Like, you know, gotcha, just gotcha. comparing second books. Sure. Now we're into third books, and I'm thinking about State of the Union, and then you had Separation of Power in the other series, both very good books. That's and right. Like, they're coming out swinging. That's a good point. This one has a 4.21 on Goodreads, 4.6 on Amazon, very mm. strong. Publishers Weekly says a blistering testosterone-fueled espionage th- thriller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Real Book Spy says one of the best political thrillers ever written. Boom. That's big. And on, on the jacket cover of the book, the Chicago Tribune, I'm guessing they're calling Brad Thor this, but the heir to both Clancy and Ludlam. Woo! That that's bold, that's high praise. praise, my friend, and he deserves it. I'd have to say this book, and I like that co- that comparison because you get the technical yes. stuff. Like I feel like we've gotten a little bit in Lions and a little bit in Path, but here he goes full force with explaining some of the tech and the research that he that he went into, yep. especially with some of the spec ops stuff. With oh, what's I'm blanking on the guy's name, but he's part of. Uh, Morell's crew and you know going over all this technology stuff uh DeWolf, all the the tech guy DeWolf, yeah DeWolf, yeah the wolf all the specifications into like the different sh- the different ships the the right. submarines the, the the russian boats and then the ludlum piece of it like you know this is kind of like a it has the spy thrillerness to it you know like mm-hmm. a little bit of the born aspect to it do you agree like where, especially in the beginning, where we don't really quite know where Gary Lawler, like, what is, is he involved? Is he actually a bad guy? You know, right. it, we quickly, like, get past that, I guess, two, one third into the book. But when you're beginning to read this, you're like, I don't know who's good. I don't know who's bad. Scott has to find this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess just to read the, uh, the description America's worst nightmare has just become a brutal reality. The most unlikely terrorist enemy of all now holds all the knives against the country's throat. With both diplomatic and conventional military options swept from the table, the President of the United States calls upon America's only hope, the Navy SEAL turned Secret Service agent Scott Harvath. With the fragile peace between the world's nations shattered, Harvath must unravel a brilliantly orchestrated, fiendishly timed conspiracy latent upon bringing the United States to its knees. Teamed with beautiful Russian intelligence agent Alexandra Ivanov, and a highly trained CIA paramilitary de- detachment, Harvath races from the corridors of power in Washington, D.C., to the streets of Berlin, to the coast of Finland, into the heart of Mother Russia herself, before returning home for a final showdown with an enemy from America's past more sinister and deadly than has ever been seen before. You know what that ending makes me think of? The Scott Harvath travel series, Traveling Heavy. Traveling Heavy, man. Although, how you mentioned thor here is is maybe pulling from or relying on others like a ludlum i also see a lot of flynn in this book 
Oh yeah, no, I he hit. I feel like he's hitting like a stride. Scott turns here. The character turns yes. here. You know, like we get the introduction of him in Lions, and then I feel like we don't. I don't know. For some reason, Path just maybe maybe it was the 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 plot sort of didn't mm-hmm. didn't move us further into like knowing who Scott is. Who Scott is, yeah. But this one, I feel like from the get go, we're just fully immersed into Scott. And we yeah. see him progress from, obviously, someone who follows and someone who is, you know, brilliant Secret Service agent. But now we're beginning to see more of, like, you know, I guess we saw it a little bit in Lions. But I see it more of him becoming this leader and this, yeah. like, solo leader, you know? Yeah, so a few things on that. He's less funny. So it's interesting. Yes, a little bit. I think Brad's realizing to almost, I don't think, downplay what he did so strongly in Lions and what he attempted to do in Path. But I think he's reining himself in a little bit. And I think it's it's showing a lot of discipline. That's allowing the character to be taken more seriously. So I think he's, he's less funny. But, I mean, you don't want to lose. That's, that's the essence of Scott Harveth. He's a jokester. But right. here, he's taking the mission a bit more seriously. And perhaps... Well, it's a crazy mission. Well, yeah, it's, it's insane. But that's also perhaps a consequence of his new role moving away from the Secret Service and more as this, like, unchained, you know, basically save the world operative. And another thing that's giving more gravity to his situation is Gary Lawler. His relationship with Gary is explored here. It makes him think back on his father. And so things that in the past would have seemed so jovial and he's just going about his business, kicking ass, well, it's really personal here in a way that forces him to focus not just because the mission is save the world, right? Save save right. America from nukes. But the mission is save this father figure. And Meg even right. says to him, Gary can't be your father. Gary's not your father. And I think that just pushes Scott to be a little more solemn and be a little more disciplined. And he's not just this loose cannon jokester running around making it up as he goes. He almost has to be a little bit more deliberate And I feel like that's happening with Brad's writing. He has to really focus. The writing has to be on point. And he's got to draw on, like you said, with Ludlum and Flynn and what these masters and people have done. Uh, It's weird to say it. He's almost reining himself in because Scott is reined in. And that's making the mission so much more pointed. Yeah. Just reading the whole thing, I just felt a a tonal shift in how he approached this book. How he approached the the plot, the scenario, uh, Scott, and I guess you know just kicking it off with from the very beginning where we get this Scott's in San Diego. He's there for the anniversary of of his dad memorial service that he immediately gets pulled away from, yeah, right, because because of this mission. And we we were reintroduced to Meg Cassidy, who's now his girlfriend. Not not a long lived relationship. So this is kind of like a continuing theme, right? Yeah. The, he is is with one girl, and then she cont- lingers on for the first couple of chapters, and then I guess we don't know until the very end of this novel that he, they decide to part ways. But um, yeah, continuing. I guess we really don't get a constant female figure for Scott until very on in the future, and yeah. we're, we're going to cover his relationship with Laura in in, in subsequent books, right? But yeah, I just. I wanted to ask you, actually, while you're on that, I-, I wanted to ask. Sure. Does Brad Thor have a female problem? I, or is it because Scott has one? I- I'm trying to figure out, 
We said it was a weak point of Flynn, some of his female characters. We said it was a strength of Kyle, that Kyle Mills really brought out the best in Claudia and when he brought back Donatella. I'm wondering where Brad Thor falls in that. And so far, he nails certain things, like Claudia Mueller was great, but then she's disposed of. And is that because Scott can't keep a thing going? Is it because Brad doesn't want to write a longstanding female character yet? And then Meg, we felt like never really hit. Yet, we took so much time to go through her training last book. And to me, she just wasn't used. None of that training was used. Mm -hmm. She was just a domestic piece that thankfully gave Scott the freedom, right? She, She gave Scott space to do what he needed to do twice. In the beginning of this book, she says you can go. At the end of this book, she doesn't give him grief about having to go to the next mission. But shouldn't the female companion be more than a sidekick? Especially someone we spent so much page time with last book. I think it's a an exploration, you know, into like how he wants to write female characters, um, and how he wants to have his lead, you know, have relationships. I think you could probably argue that maybe Flynn's one of his biggest mistakes was tying Mitch down right from the beginning, you know, True. and maybe Scott doesn't want to, or Brad doesn't want to do that right right off the bat. Um, well, he obviously doesn't, you know. It's, it's sort of thinking in your head: Do I like this character? Am I willing to have? this character be present for multiple books? Um, am I bored with this character? You know, so, and then I think at some point Scott needs to, he realized that Scott needs to settle down and, and eventually does. Yeah. I think it's just a whole, the, this, you could really tell that these first three books, this is a whole exploration into who Scott's going to be, mm-hmm. what he's going to be long-term. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think he's as bad as Flynn in terms of like some of the early Flynn stuff was, That's was, true. was really bad. That's true. Um, yeah. And actually, especially like the characters we get and like even in this one, like I kind of liked the Alexandra. character. I was going to say, you know, that's a counterpoint against myself is. Uh, yeah, he's able to write these characters really yeah. well, but maybe not follow them up. Right. You know, that's like, it. Or the continuation of them. Yeah. And Alexandra comes on so strong in that first meeting. And this is the second half of the book. So we'll get there later. But you're right. She does come on strong and, and she's a force to be reckoned with. So. It's less how he writes them, but more how he deals with them and how he puts them in Scott's life that I'm kind of like, I feel like we're 0 for 2, you know, on. So we'll see. Maybe we'll explore that. He writes them very well, but seeing how they picture into Scott's life long term, he's definitely going to come around to that, like you said, in in later books. So it's something to track, though, from early on to later, Brad. And it could be just like what you said. It's not so much a Brad problem, but a, it's it's actually Scott's character problem. Like that is it's his Scott, his right. problem. With right. and there's a reason he has the name Norseman. Like right. it was not just one <laughs> one Scandinavian lady; it was multiple Scandinavian ladies. So right, right, right. And there's less talk with his character of the whole getting out from the first book. Rap was talking right. about settling down. Right. Scott Harvath never really has those deep reflections of I want out. He he actually wants to stay in the game. And I also think Scott knows what kind of relationship he can have being in the position that he has. Right. You know, like he realizes that even then he even says that at the end of the book that he does. They know they can't have a normal relationship, especially like the very the first in the beginning of this book, he's pulled away. And then his last night with Meg, he like that leave. gets cut short because he gets pulled away again, you know, yeah. so. And he already realized this with Claudia. They literally said to each other, both of our jobs, we it just can't happen. Right. Right. So. Hey, the other Thorism, though, while we're on it, I mentioned the traveling heavy. 
And yes. I, I said, Brad's kind of like toning it down. I'm actually really glad. I feel like there's less emphasis on traveling around the world, which I know you love. You said we have to start in San Diego and Coronado Beach, which makes it very personal for Scott and his father and, and the memorial. And then we're really only in Berlin, East Berlin, which are some awesome scenes. And we stay there for a little while with Herman the German. Can't wait to talk that. And then it's really just Russia, this St. Petersburg, Finland, Russia border. I feel like there's really only three locations here. A little bit the East Coast when he's going to Gary Lawler's house and or um, Frank Layton's house in Eastern Maryland yeah. on the shore. But honestly, outside of West Coast, East Coast, Berlin and Russia, there's not a lot of world traveling, which is good because last book, it almost was too mm. much. We went to Italy yeah. just to go to Italy. And I feel like here, Brad's letting the story lead and the plot dictate where the action happens. Like, I love that we stayed in Germany and Russia most three quarters of this book, I would say. And I thought that was important because of how the story was unfolding. Yeah, and I think while it might not be as much as both Lions and as definitely not as much as Path. Path, Path was ridiculous. Yeah. But what we got of it, the, just the descriptions yep. of these places, because of his past, because of how he how he, how he does, it's something he cares about. If you follow him, him on Instagram, he's always like somewhere crazy. Oh, yeah. I saw the other day, he was riding around, I think it was like either in Lake Cuomo. He was driving around in one of those like w- antique wooden, not an- well, like the teak boats, you know, like they're, they're really, really nice. Legend. What a legend. <laughs> Smoking a cigar. I know. Absolutely. What, what a... When we interview him in a couple weeks at 9 p.m., I wonder where, where the hell he's going to be. I'm going to have to ask him that. He probably had some pappies on that boat. You know it. You know Oh, yeah, did. for sure. For sure. <laughs> that man is a myth. He's an absolute myth. <laughs> I love the Berlin stuff. I, I just want to talk about Herman the German and the team. And I, I mentioned Flynn was an influence here. I've actually been waiting for, and perhaps this is me to come around, I haven't come around to that like team up kind of feel that Vince used to give us with all the mm. guys from Mick Reavers and Scott Coleman and when Marcus Dumont was on board and you know all these other names. Those were some of my favorite Flynn moments, right? When the team comes together and Rap was a lone wolf, but when he had to operate and rely on these guys, it just created an awesome fun dynamic. I haven't yet felt that way with Scott and and Gordo. I guess he's so new and Morell just came around last book. I wasn't sure if I was up on board with him. I really love the team up here. And not only those guys and, and Skip Trawick, I love when he pops up and oh, just it's so much fun. This is the first time I felt that team up really was just a delight. And it for the story, it 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 needed to happen. He needed the guys to get him out of the firefight a few times. And that also happens with Herman the German. Right. Chris, do you remember in Lions how Scott got the alternate ID and the passport that he needed. From Herman the German. Well, yeah. Herman the German wanted to thank him for some ops they ran, and he put him in touch with his ID guy. Oh, he had a funny nickname. Oh, what was it? I'm blanking on it. blanking on it, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I asked you, I was like, do you think we see these guys again? Because I like this little, like, side story here. And we were both like, nah, I don't really think that comes up again. And boom, we're giving Herman again. Oh, Tinkerbell. Right. Tinkerbell made Tinkerbell. the fake IDs yeah. for them. I don't think we see Tinkerbell again, but I'm glad that little nugget that was dropped about his friend in Berlin who hooked him up, we now have spend a lot of time with him. 
and and he has an awesome team, Seb and all the other people. Literally, they're they're traveling heavy with their equipment to back up Scott and what he needs to do. Yeah, I think like to your point, the first two books, Scott was often an adversary working as a lone wolf, you know, yes. like to these people, like yes. especially in in Path, right? Morel did not want to did not want to deal with him. In the first one, Gary, he's con- conducting this investigation, sort of, and Gary doesn't want him to be involved, right? Exactly. Gary thinks he might, you know either is too close to the situation or whatever, but he doesn't do it, you know, so he can't team up with anybody. But now we, you know, he's more enmeshed. He has this team and I like how they come together. The Morel storyline is a little bit of a heel turn. Like he quickly went from being an adversary to now he's, he's Scott's, well, he does say like, I guess, uh, apprehensive friendship that he has with him. But I like Gordo. Yes. I like the, the two other guys who are, you know, one's a, one's, the explosive guy and the other one is the comms guy. Yep. Yeah. No, skips I, I, the doctor. Skin skips the doctor. Yeah. And then we even get the, the, the appearance of the three stooges, his, uh, like secret service friends. <laughs> yes. I, I thought that was funny. Hollenbeck, um, Longo, Palmer. Love those guys. Yeah. yeah. Kate Palmer is so. a great character too. She's, she seems a good friend. Oh, and she's still in charge of the presidential detail. The way goaltender comes in. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Should we jump Do you want to, you want to talk about some of the plot? You That's talk the plot, some right. Plot? We talk characters. Yeah. We got to go plot. Exactly. Yeah. So, right. We kick this off. We, I guess we started like sort of towards the end of the book, right? Rutledge is deciding what to do. And we, we get a this chapter again now knowing more information later on in the book where he needs to decide between these two speeches that he's going to stay at the State of the Union, hence the, the title of the book, right? Russia has demanded... You know, there are all these suitcase backpack nukes in Russia. They're going to be detonated. And they realize that they we can't counter against them because they have this anti-defense system, which is going to play a role uh, later on in the book. Really, that, that was probably one of my favorite scenes, the oh, whole yeah. um, U.S. or the, what is it? What's the Russian cosmonaut, the, the boat? Uh, the Gagarin. The Gagarin, yeah. That was, that was a really cool scene. And it has these radar or these signal jammers. Or satellite dishes. They essentially, yeah, they essentially created Star Wars and the strategic defense initiative. Like, we tried to bank. That's why, in the end, we won the Cold War is Reagan launching Star Wars and saying we could shoot any missile out of the sky. We basically are impenetrable. Wasn't true, but it forced the Russians to spend themselves into the ground and the Soviets to tear themselves apart trying to keep up with the tech. And neither side ever really had it. But now the story is bringing us in because basically Russia's impenetrable. They've created Star right. Wars where any missile in the air over their airspace will be ineffective. They can shoot it down. Right. Like, damn, that's big. That, that is big. And it's kind of un, un, unsettling. And the fact that they had all of these backpack nukes and... But the United States knew that they were missing, yeah, and they couldn't identify them. Yet we did nothing about it. I liked it though because I didn't want this to be just another nuclear warhead story. You know, like Memorial Day with Vince Flynn could take some shtick because it's there's a, a nuke right. that's loose, and yeah. we got to stop the nuke, and the nuke's going to go off in Washington. It could become so cliche, but the complexities that Brad is putting in here. I also don't usually like exposition where we just get things explained to us for the sake of 
moving the plot along. I, I like when it's more creative and how it's rolled out. Yeah, but, what did you think of that two chapter scene with the president and the defense secretary with oh, Scott? Like it it was like, wow, we're getting oh, it all it. right now. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I usually would critique that. Two chapters of just pages and pages of the higher ups. They're just explaining to you Russia has these nukes, they're these sleeper agents. They put them all across the U.S. They're in major cities. We don't know how to track them. Oh, and by the way, we can't threaten them because we can't hit them with nukes. I, I just I kept going deeper and deeper into it every time that was explained. And then the kicker that really brought me into it was learning that Gary Lawler was our plan B. Right. Right. If they're sneaking backpack nukes on the ground into our major cities. Gary Lawler, since what, like the 70s or something, was assembling a team of army intelligence folks from a unit he had served with, and they were the Dark Knight mission. Operation Dark Knight. They were our opportunity to sneak sleeper agents, when push comes to shove, if we need to, to launch a retaliatory attack. So not to launch the first attack, but if we get hit and our air missiles are are defended against you know they're useless gary lawler could activate his team to sneak into russia with their own backpack nukes i thought that was just insane it's some spy versus spy stuff and i love it yeah so i guess doubling back before we find out that gary's actually a good guy what did you think of this whole we get a scene with frank layton right where he doesn't know he's he just got activated right He's like, what the hell? Like, I'm, I'm 60 years old. I can't do this. And then we also get a scene where Gary's on the run. Yep. And because Gary doesn't show up for Scott's dad's memorial service, Gary's on the run. He gets taken. And then all these scenes where, you know, Scott has to go to Gary's house and he left in a rush and they're investigating Lawler. They, they, they don't want to know where he is and they won't tell him. And eventually the president tells him, all right, we, we, we believe he's been taken because he's our defense. But for a while, we're thinking that, oh, shit, is, is Gary a bad guy? Is it, yeah. is it? I I didn't even – I thought that Frank Layton at first was a Russian bringing a nuke into the United States. I thought he was the sleeper agent for Russia getting activated. Yeah, me too. I love that rug pull. When we learned he was actually one of Gary Lawler's agents who was doing the exact same thing for us against them, oh, that was such a cool turn. And all that is happening in what? The first fifth fourth of the book it's like right off yeah. the bat the first um like nine chapters yeah yeah dude i love that so it's kind of a plot line that could be very contrived very derivative but no it's unique it's gripping and like you said the way the story is told this person is doing this but you don't know which side they're on gary goes missing you don't know if he defected i just all of those complexities are hitting one after the other. I guess two people we have yet to mention so far that we got introduced kind of early on is both this Helmut Dreger character. And I don't know if by this point we have, we might have his name because there's that one interrogation scene where Harry's like, or Gary's like, um, I, I killed you. Like you, you killed my wife. Like what the hell? And the, he's doing the, the dental um, torture. Yes. Sounded excruciatingly painful like my own Ooh. teeth started to hurt when i was reading that yeah oh yeah but we also meet the uh russian generals who at the very beginning were we find out that they're the ones behind this whole bringing this plot against america or that there's one sir Sevastopol, general stavropol yeah is he's Stavropol. Nuts. is that that's the name of a of a town too right 
Sevastopol is, but oh, okay. I think his name is Stavropol. 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 Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I l- listened to, which, by the way, I wanted to mention, George Goodell. George Goodell. Reading the audiobook. Yeah, it sounded Dude. like Sevastopol. I'll be honest. I thought I was reading a Flynn book when I heard George Yeah, me, me too. Me too. So it was kind of throwing me for a loop. It makes me appreciate Armand Schultz just because it's much more like in the Scott Harvath universe. Having George was a delight. He was fantastic. But it took my mind like kind of out of Scott Harvath and to Vince Flynn. And it, it was getting a little weird for a while. So. It was, it was going to. I was like, wait, am I reading a, a Mitch Rapp book? No, this is, this is Brad Thorne. This is Brad Thorne. Yeah, it was Scott so Harvath. weird hearing him so weird yeah so we get this uh this general dude oh he kills the other guys with the fire poker right that was pretty sick oh my god that was insane and there's someone lurking all throughout the first you know 15 chapters there's just the writing subterfuge right yes someone's lurking watching this meeting we later find out that it was actually alexandra who was tipped off investigating this general to clear her father's name. But I just, I love how, you know, Brad's writing is soaring in, in the beginning of this novel, through the whole novel, but just really well done in, in the first, like, fourth yeah. of this book. I think that's the first chapter. Because the, yeah. the prologue, right prologue is the president contemplating which State of the Union speech to give, the ones the Russians fed him or his own. And then chapter one is the Russian oligarchs meeting. And... It's kind of funny how most of them, they even want to take a vote, want to vote to keep things as it is. And Sevastopol is just so radical. You think this is a democracy? (laughs) He's like, you think it's a democracy? He goes, you're so used to Western luxuries and Western riches. And that's how, you know, our society is crumbling from the inside. That's why the glory of the Soviet Union is gone. I really bought into him as a hardliner who wants to see the Soviet Union resurrected. So again, it made the whole plot line click because of how this one character driving it was so well-crafted. Yeah, and he was scary. He could do some damage. Yeah. He almost reminded me of Kyle Mills's Russian guy, who was even crazier than uh, Krupin. Oh, yeah, yeah, the... um. The general who got brought out of who yeah. got brought out of uh, retirement, right? Exactly. I was getting a lot of vibes there, and those are not vibes you that sit easy with you. You do you do not want those that yeah, juju in no the universe. Difference. Yeah, and then like the third chapter is when we meet an old man who's who's uh, Frank Layton, and he yes. gets activated. You know, so we're we're going through these these boom boom boom. These first few chapters, we're like, what the hell is this book going to be about? You know, the president has to make this decision. These Russians are creating this plot and then immediately goes to this man getting activated so that's why my mind was like oh the russians activated him to do a nuke he's a sleeper agent right yeah so i don't know i just as you can tell i'm i'm vibing on this book i crush this in in the shortest amount of time possible dude yeah i'm big on this one just listen to the excitement of how we're recapping this from the character <laughs> standpoint and the plot standpoint <laughs> Right, uh, we did not have that in Path of the Assassin. It was kind of no, like going no, through the no, motions, no. Or like really this <laughs> happened, then this happened. But this book's got me firing on all cylinders. I think Brad Thor is just firing on all cylinders too here. That's like phase one. So all that's like phase one: meeting goaltender and the president, and yep. learning there's this secret op, this spy versus spy with these sleeper agents and, and and nukes. And then phase two is when Scott's actually tracing down some leads. 
And that brings him to, to his Gary. friend in Germany. Right. How does he right. first end up tracking them to Germany? What brings him there? Uh, Scott figures out like those numbers that are like in, in the, the burned, something is burned in uh, a trash can. Oh, that's, he knows that's where Gary's being held. But how does he know that? Oh, is it just that they know that he was on a flight to Germany and that he never, never called back? Is it, right. is it as simple as that? I kind of, kind of like got slipped through my cracks. But right. I think that's where they. Scott knew. gets sent uh, right after he meets that with the president and the secretary that he immediately goes to Germany. So he must have got information in that meeting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then there's this whole thing with the beer steins that Scott yeah, keeps that... recognizing because Gary had one. In his house, and, and then Layton. he saw one at Frank Layton's house. Oh, and that tra- that brings him to the bar in Germany. Yes. Um, because yes. I think the bar was written on one of the steins or something like that. And then when he's there, he sees one on the shelf. So when they're not really getting anywhere with the bar manager, he asks him, hey, what about that beer stein with the barbed wire on it? Which is kind of cool. It was barbed wire from Checkpoint Charlie that they all had on these steins. And it turns out those were given to each one of the Dark Knights, the Gary Lawler sleeper agents, and each one had a unique number on the bottom. And so when you were activated, you know, the numbers were part of the passcode, and there was this very, very complex communication system of how they'd be activated or deactivated, how they'd get messages to one another. Oh, and that's another thing. Scott gets Gary's suitcase and he finds right. that what he thought was a PDA, uh, you know, one of those personal like a BlackBerry. But it turns out DeWolf knows it's a burst transmitter. And that was the way he communicated with Layton and the other guys. All before this, we get the takedown at the – like he gets to Germany. He meets up with, with Herman the German. <clears throat> excuse me. And then they go – the first thing they're going to do is go to go to Gary's safe house, which he never showed up to. Right. And that when they do the safe house, that's when they get ambushed. Right. By some gunner, Scott gets shot at, t- takes some bullets. Luckily, he, he like he, Scott, I think, gets shot at like three times. And the first time, the body armor that Herman the German told him to put on saves his life. The second time, the PDA saves his life. Right. And the third time, maybe there, maybe it was just to- twice. Well, there was a grenade but, um, at the end, and he hid behind right the, 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 the grenade, and he, the he hides behind the marble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Scott is a uh, you know counting his lives in, in this one. He's the survivor, man. <laughs> But what did you think of the description with the uh, the German uh, like tactical force that like Herman got like on loan like the SWAT team that was really cool. That and, was like cool. that's where I was saying at the beginning this like description of you know the guns they're using and like very Clancy esque like we we get it all throughout the you know just what he's using what he's wearing you know the description of the new the stuff that's better than Kevlar for his for his vest yes. and then these guys are able to help him track down the video camera to show that Gary was actually taken. They, they were able right. to get the license plate number, which brings them to, you know, this guy. And then ultimately that, and then like you said, they go to this bar and they meet up with, with the bartender and they find out <laughs> this, this bartender scene was, was, was great. And the, I, right after they say, Alice, Alice, who the fuck is Alice? <laughs> I, I started listening to that song. Dude, it's been in my head. It's so funny. It's been, it's been in, my been in head my head for too. a week. I swear, for a week, I have had Who the Fuck is Alice in my head on repeat nonstop because of this scene. Who the fuck is Alice? 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 Who the fuck is Al
Yeah, that's the code, right? The bartender knows all of Gary's team and the agents because they used to meet up there. And so if one of the agents wants to call and find out if one of their one of their teammates is present, they'll ask for Alice. And if the bartender says, who the fuck is Alice? That means somebody's there. I love that. Right. And he says, Alice, I don't know any Alice. That means nobody's here. Oh, man, I should make that the intro song. You should. You should. <laughs> 24 years just waiting for a chance to tell her how I feel and maybe get a second glance. Now I gotta get used to not living next door to Alice. Eyes. Oh, that fucking eyes. You actually had, um, I guess you had read up farther than me. Yes. And uh, you text me, you're like, Alice. Who? <laughs> uh, let me pull it up because it was kind of funny. Funny exchange. Hold it was on. like in the middle of one of our text chains. I knew I just dropped that, and I think you did two question marks, and I was like, "Oh, okay, he's not there yet." <laughs> yeah, let me, you must have been can confused. I pull it up quickly. Although there's something with Alice in the new Jack Carr book, which because I've been reading this, I I put off, so I'll, I'll get there soon, but. Everyone who's read the new Jack Carr book, there's some really weird social media comments about Alice, like Good Night Alice or something. So I'm like, that's pretty funny that two back-to-back books that I'm going to read both have some sort of Alice line. I have no idea what it is, but in Jack Carr, there's something. It was Tuesday. We were, we were going to record our Insurrection Day pod, and you texted me, who the fuck is Alice? Exclamation point, question mark. I said, do you want to record later? And then I said, Alice who? And you said exactly who the fuck is Alice? And Did I put I just that in all caps? You. I thought about yeah, and I just I just ignored it. I was like, okay. And then when I got <laughs> to it, I texted you back. <laughs> I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, oh sure, whatever. And then sure. as, as soon as I read that part, <laughs> sure, <weirdo. laughs> sure. And I texted you, Alice, Alice. Who the fuck is Alice? <laughs> I knew once you texted me, I was waiting for it. I was like. I bet any hour now he's going to text me who the fuck is Alice. I was like, I was waiting for you to do it. <laughs> that was like the time when you were waiting for me to text you about the the, the twist in, D- in Deep State. In Deep State. Like, oh, you, I knew I, you knew I hadn't gotten there yet. <laughs> oh, I knew. I knew you weren't there. Exactly. Exactly. We got to keep this up. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I guess just a little bit more about, you know, this. I really enjoyed... I guess maybe that was another reason why I like this, because I like, like, Cold War spy stuff. Yes. I like the description of Gary and his team's past and how they use this bar. And then we get a little bit later on with how they use the brothel, and I guess we'll talk about that next time. But, um, you know, just their interactions in Germany behind the Iron Curtain, you know, reminds me of, you know, what the stuff that... Vince. Yeah, like what Vince talked about uh, with, with Thomas Stansfield. Thomas Stansfield, and, uh, right. And... and um, Oh, why am I blanking? And Stan Hurley. I don't know. Just, uh, I really dig that stuff. Um, totally. And it, it was it was woven in nicely through the story here. And you know, another connection to that, and maybe it's our final action scene for part one in the first half of this book, but we actually get a Cold War relic or even a, a World oh, War II yes. era relic in the subway station. 
Yeah, the subposition scene was really cool. Really cool. They get they basically chase the one guy and follow the one guy whose trail they was been the shooter, on, the shooter who ambushed them in the apartment, and they follow him into this train station and he goes up the tunnel and they're really confused they're like, there's no stations between here and there why would he go there but then on the way in this tunnel they happen upon a ghost station it's an abandoned i, I think it was world war ii era uh or, or maybe early cold war era a subway station and herman the german says most of these were closed up they actually you know closed them demolished them because with the border of West or Berlin, reintegrated them. They, they integrated them, right. They reintegrated them. But this one was unique because I think it was on the East German line, but it was in West Germany or, or, or vice versa. Right. So it would like the trains would have to go under the other side's territory to continue back into their side. And so this one was like an anomaly that slipped through the cracks. And it's where Sevastopol or Stavropol – Helmut Drager and team are meeting up, and it's where they're hiding Gary Lawler. Yeah, where they're doing the interrogations. Yeah, the interrogation. Yeah. To drop a Thorism here, did you notice the little puzzle and the game and the riddle to get into the train station? Yes, where there was I did. The with the cigarette, the vending machine. Dispenser. Yeah. Later on, we get with the whole trying to figure out the burst transmitter right exactly scott's like rattling like trying to figure out like scott loves puzzles yeah and i guess you know it here he's trying to figure out all right what what kind of cigarettes did lennon use and they're in the both he's like pinging off with with herman the german like oh no he would use that or maybe he'd use that and the other do like both of them then finally it pops it open but that like just the description of that was pretty ingenious and cool to think of you know it's like something and he's like i want to use this cold war era cigarette case somehow in or cigarette dispenser somehow in my story how do i put it in there right. how, how does it play a role you know one other thing about the train station i forgot it's under the russian embassy or right. it used to be the russian embassy russian. right it was the station for it so that was another complication of why they're using it you know I, and i might be a bit of a hypocrite here i listened to the abridged version the second time around oh okay i was gonna say yeah, so I listened to the full version, which I think was 12 or 13 hours. The abridged version was four, four or five, something like that. Yeah. And I got to be honest, I don't know if it's just because of Brad Thor, but I really liked it. And and here's an example of why I bring it up now. The puzzle thing, which I thought was cool at first, they sometimes get a little long in the tooth. The puzzle thing just goes a little too long for me and gets a little too intricate where it almost seems unlikely. Oh, you had to pull both of Lennon's two favorite cigarette brands. Where in the abridged version, things like that are just cut down. How do we get in? And then Scott thinks for a minute and goes, what was Lennon's favorite cigarette? And then someone says it and then he goes, boom, that's the lever. And it opened. To me, oh, we interesting. Can, okay, we so it changes like things. the actual plot. Well, no. Condenses, it, it, it condenses the plot. It condenses it. It's the essence of it. But I thought it was well done because almost nothing is stripped out plot-wise. Like, no major scenes are completely ignored. And so it, it's rare for me, but the abridged version did a really good job of telling the story a little more succinctly. And another criticism I've had, now that we're three books in, they get a little long for me. Especially just coming off of Chris Howdy, whose writing is so snappy, so propulsive. The Brad Thor books are a little bit more of like, they're dense, they're thicker. The abridged version was kind of nice as a refresher to kind of 
snap through really quickly. Is there a reason you chose the original version this time around? Or you just wanted to compare? Well, so it was my second read for the pod. So I read the uh, the full book and then I chose the abridged one just to do in the last few days as a refresher. So Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. It maybe that's the purpose of it, right? It's not for your first read. I would never recommend it for your first read of Vince or Brad. But as a refresher of like, oh, I want to go back to that book. It was kind of nice to have the shorter version to go back to. Not as a first read, but okay. as a refresher. Right. Yeah. Maybe we found the use for uh for bridge versions. Yeah. Do not start right. reading Vince Flynn with the abridged versions. Please, please do not. So I guess the last thing to talk about is just this takedown where they're able to – Gary gets shot, mm-hmm. right? Which leads to him having to go into the hospital. Saverpole gets away and they're able to – they kill the gunman, right? That sort of puts a bow in, into this first half of the, of, the no, of the novel. They got Gary, but now they need to see if they can get information from Gary – and the number one thing Scott needs is that he made contact with Frank Layton, who doesn't trust him yet. So Scott really needs Gary's codes to call him off, to, to prove who he is to Frank Layton to call him off from making the attack. Because otherwise, Layton, where we leave it, is sneaking into Russia with a nuke through the Gulf of Finland. And we're pretty sure the Russians are – it's a setup. The Russians want to catch an American – launching a first strike attack. And so if they can get an American going into their territory with a nuke, that's going to give the Russians a lot of bargaining power to pin things on us. Right. All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed the first half of State of the Union. Come back to us next week where we'll be giving you the second half. Again, we need to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at the the thrillerpod. And as always, who the fuck is Alice? Who the fuck is Alice? <laughs> Play us out, Smokey. Smokey.